Welcome to the Young Entrepreneur's Journey with your host, Yasmina Ellens. Welcome to the Young Entrepreneur's Journey, where we take the skills, mindset, and attitude needed to achieve any entrepreneurial endeavor, whether you're just starting out or you're already on your journey. And now, our host, Yasmina Ellens. We're here today to learn how you can make a true impact in the world as an entrepreneur, innovator, and business leader. And today I'm chatting with Vikas Garg, who is the founder and CEO of A Billion, a rapidly growing global internet platform on a mission to help a billion people live plant-based by 2030. A Billion aims to change the way people eat and consume, whether it be food or fashion or material objects in their lives. Their app not only helps people to find plant-based food, but also makes a real difference in the availability of that food as A Billion seeks to encourage restaurants and hotels to become more plant-based. Think TripAdvisor meets Instagram, but for vegans and vegetarians. In 2017, Vikas left his high-flying corporate career at one of the world's largest head funds to pursue this venture as he felt he could do more for society and realized that the world did not need another fund manager, but needed people to solve interesting problems. And he's not looked back since. A Billion is one of the most well-funded startups in the Asia impact scene, closing a pre-Series A $3 million round in 2020 and attracting high-profile investors like Room to Read's John Wood. Vikas has received Credit Suisse's Global Citizenship Award, is a young leader of the Milken Institute and a charter member of the Ind-US Entrepreneurs, which is pretty awesome. So by the end of this interview, you will gain insight into how to think like a nonprofit, you will have an understanding of how to build a sustainable business with a socially driven mission. And you will feel that you too can build a business that will leave a truly positive mark on the world. Thank you so much for coming on today, Vikas. It is my pleasure. Yeah, Smina, we, I feel like you should be our spokesperson. That was an amazing <laughs> intro. and th Thank you for that. I think you did a much better job than I ever could. And I'm delighted to be here today on the show. Thanks for making time for me. It is an honor. Thank you so much. So my That's first honor, question, my first question for you, Vikas, is what originally got you onto your entrepreneurial journey? Wow. Uh, it just, I guess we, depending on how far back we want to go, uh, you know, I, I actually, I think I started selling my, my, my first foray into entrepreneurship was selling fireworks to kids in New York city, uh, when I was a kid and, and I used to like, uh, so I grew up in New York city. I'm originally from India, uh, but moved to the States when I was four, um, and, uh, and grew up in New York city and in New York state where fireworks are very much, uh, forbidden. Uh, and, uh, and, and, um, uh, my father used to do a lot of business in Pennsylvania, so we drive down to Pennsylvania. And of course, the minute you cross the border into from New York to Pennsylvania, the first sign that you see are these fireworks, these big, 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 big signs on the highway. So, uh, so yeah, as an Indian kid, like, you know, in India, fireworks are a big part of our tradition, less so these days because people are connecting to sustainability. But, uh, but, uh, but yeah, as a kid, I love those. And, and so I would buy a crate back then you could get a giant box for like $50 and, uh, and I would beg and beg and beg and plead my dad to buy me some fireworks. So, you know, we, we did, and I told him that I would make all the money back 
and uh, and so he was like, okay, challenge accepted. So he bought me this crate of fireworks for fifty dollars, a lot of money back then, a lot of money, and um, and uh, and I think I sold all of those fireworks for two hundred dollars. I think I sold half of them for like two hundred dollars, and then you know did what you're supposed to do with fireworks with the rest. So I think that that like uh, I think that there's always been in my family and and. Uh, there's always been a sense of entrepreneurship and and I've started a lot of little things, little companies. And I used to build websites when I was in high school. Um, and then I used to, I paid my way through college buying and selling stuff on eBay. And so there was always that. And, and uh, you know, kind of along the way, like I ended up uh, working in finance, um, which was great uh, because it paid the bills a hell of a lot better than all those little things that I was doing before. Um, and I was quite good at it. Um, and I ended up in a place where I ended up building a lot of businesses inside of businesses. Um, and I did that for, you know, 15 years of my career. Um, when I finally kind of got around to it in my early thirties, I just felt like, okay, cool. I had reached this like place in my life that I really wanted to be like, go looking back when I was 17, 18. And I dreamt of this like career on wall street. This is what I grew up around in New York. I, you know, I grew, I wanted, really wanted that. And I wanted to have the big title and everything. And when I finally kind of got there, I was like, okay, cool. Um, the thing that's next for me is to start, like, uh, start my own brand, my own business in the space. And when I really started thinking about that, it was when I said, you know, I don't think the world needs another hedge fund. The world certainly doesn't need another person trying to build another hedge fund. And, you know, what if I took all my talents and I devoted the next 30, 40 years of my life to doing things that I was really passionate about? And for me, it was always really interesting that my career, it wasn't so much that I checked my values at the door, but it just very much felt like there was this whole other side of my life that didn't involve my career and, and the things that I was really passionate about. Um, that had to do with my values and my virtues and my beliefs. Uh, and I felt like there was an opportunity to build a business. Um, so that's kind of what led me on the entrepreneurial journey in terms of, you know, I'd say that if I had just gone and started a fund that, that would have, while that would have been entrepreneurial, that wouldn't have been entrepreneurial in the same way. And instead I said, Hey, you know what, we're going to create a platform and, and a company that thinks very differently about technology. And we're going to really try to build something that's disruptive and disrupt social media and make social media better and healthier and uses data, uses consumer data for good. And, and really in a way I kind of set out to be an entrepreneur and that was kind of it. That was, it was just felt like anything that you do in life, when you start something is going to be hard, it's going to be hard to be successful. And I just felt like, well, screw it. And if everything's going to be hard, I might as well go and try to do the hardest thing possible and really try to make a mark on, uh, make a mark on society. And so, yeah, that's kind of been the, sort of the guiding principle of the last three, four years. I love how you started out with fireworks and are now doing <laughs> a sustainable impact business. That is incredible. Um, it's super fascinating because you're doing something that you're taking your values, you're taking your it, you, you have a mission you have a mission to do good in the world it's not like oh it's another business and here's a cool business idea you actually have a proper mission that is driving that forward 
And so my question for you is, first of all, how did that idea of a billion come about? Yeah, it's really simple. You know, I, I think that it was, it was this idea that, hey, social media is this extraordinary connector of people and it kind of stops there. But there have been platforms, there's like platforms like Facebook, for example, which have 2 billion users. And I felt like, wow, what if you could build something like that? And I mean, th the reality is others have succeeded in doing that. So others will in the future succeed in doing that. And what if we could be that? But what if we could create something better that was responsible for you know, bringing people together and creating a community of change makers and people who created impact and people who helped improve the sustainability equation score for, you know, around the world. And then, so that was kind of really the idea. And, and that's really it. It was this idea that, hey, wow, imagine if we could inspire a billion people to live healthier and to live in harmony with the planet. That's pretty awesome. They imagine the ripple effects that that would have on society and on the world. And that's something really inspiring. And that's something that can keep me and us and our team really, really, really energized to show up every day and go through the hardship of building something that one day might achieve that. So, you know, I mean, it's, I think it's been really important to have a mission that's the mission and sort of a, a goal that is um, that, 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 that can create that, that if, if we succeed, or even if we have a shred of success in that we, we, we do some pretty awesome things for the world. Mm. I think it's pretty awesome because when you have such an important mission, it makes it meaningful and it makes it something for which, you know, I, you, you would gladly leap out of bed every single morning excited because you're like, I'm going to make an impact. Right. And I think it's really impressive that you set this really big goal. And I'm curious to know, how do you break that down? How do you reverse engineer that? You have this big mission, this big vision. How, how do you reverse engineer that back to the first step and the next step and the, the subsequent steps beyond that? Yeah, oh, it's a really great question. And you know, it's funny. It's like, I, I'd say like, this is like a, this is like a constant learning process from that perspective um, in terms of breaking problems down. And sometimes I have constantly have to remind myself because sometimes when we're looking at like, okay, what's our roadmap for the year or what do we want to get achieved? Right. Obviously like right now, our, our goal is to get to a million, forget about a billion. Our goal is to get to a million and we're all about almost halfway there. Right. And, and we think we're going to get there this year. Right. Um, with a little bit of luck, a lot of hard work. Um, but again, even just to get there, it's like, how do you break the problem down or how do you, what, how do you create the solution for that? And it ultimately the best thing that you can do is think about, well, what do you need to do to get to the next stage and the next stage and the next stage from there? So, yeah, it's, um, you know, we, 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 it's not that we've given ourselves 10 years, but we think that what we're trying to do is really accelerate that pace of change. Now, like the, the world is increasingly going to go plant-based. Uh, the world is also consuming more meat and the two things are in a way not mutually exclusive. Um, so if we did nothing today, right, 10 years from now, we'd probably still have 400 or 
500 million people who are living sort of a dedicated plant-based lifestyle around the world. And really for us, it's about, oh, well, how do you accelerate that? How do you help that you know, go faster, right? So what we're trying to do really is, and, and that's really it. So if you just, there's the status quo and the status quo is that there's a little bit of growth and that little bit of growth will get you to a number. And for us, it's like, well, how do you accelerate that? So now like the problem is, but the solutions that we need to create are the ones where we accelerate the pace, right? And so a big part of that is just what we're trying to do is really, in a way, grow the availability of plant-based options around the world through consumer advocacy, through using real consumer data, real consumer insights, consumer reviews, getting them back to businesses around the planet, getting businesses to compete in a way, creating a meritocracy for plant-based options by guiding businesses with real consumer feedback and guiding consumers to those businesses so, consumer, so businesses see the impact when they make a change, right? And when they do better um, by helping consumers and remo removing a lot of that friction. So often, you know, I, I'm a lifelong vegetarian. I, I was born and raised vegetarian and then I went vegan. But I remember even in my 20s when I went from being vegetarian to vegan, it felt like such, it felt, even then it felt like a hardship. And probably a big part of it was, I mean, I grew up in New York city. So like pizza was like an integral part of my daily, you know, I, I, my pizza, like my food pyramid was a slice of pizza. Right. And so, <laughs> so it's, uh, so, you know, even, even for someone like me who was really plugged in, it really did feel in the beginning, like a sacrifice and a compromise. And then fast forward, where it just simply felt like, wow, like being vegan is like literally everything I do in my day every day is like a vote for my values, which makes me feel really, really good about myself. I feel, you know, it's a very inspiring way to live. Um, it doesn't feel hard anymore. I mean, if someone, it feels hard, it's like, it gives me even more sort of energy sometimes. Right. And, um, and so, um, you know, I just felt like, what we need to do is really make it easier for people. So how do you kind of, it's and how do you make it easier for people? How do you meet people where they are? So it's not so much, it's not so black and white about whether someone's vegan or not vegan, but it's like, hey, if somebody's trying to, whether it's reducing their meat consumption or buying more cruelty-free products, how do you help them bridge that gap? How do you help them find great options? How do you help them stay motivated? How do you provide a supportive community? How do you build a supportive community around them where they feel inspired, where they don't feel attacked, right? Where they feel supported. Um, and then getting all of those little pieces working together, right? In sync with each other. So you've got the community, you've got the availability of options. You've got lots of choice around them. You've got, you know, you've got recognition, you know, and you've got like, you've got buzz going in, in markets around them. So they feel motivated and excited about it. These are all the kinds of the, these are, these are all the things that we're effectively trying to do and tackle by kind of working the consumer side of things. And then also working sort of the industry side of things and all the while kind of building this sort of consumer social media network and platform that's really focused on, you know, providing that community, providing that support, providing the utility of being able to find things, making it all based on user-generated content so it feels authentic. It's the voice of people, uh, not editorial. Um, and, you know, so all of those, 
things that I just mentioned, you know, you can bucket and fragment into pieces. And our strategy is sort of just constantly iterating and making the experience better around all of those little things. It's so interesting when I hear you speak right now, because I mean, in consumer centric businesses, right, understanding exactly who your consumer is and exactly who, you know, the, the problems and the pain points and the language that they use in their mind is so important. And it's so interesting because I could relate to so much of what you were saying. Um, I'm a lifelong vegetarian. I've been vegan for five years. And I, I remember that transition. I remember the friction in the beginning. I remember having to having to like re-engineer a few things in my life to 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 make that decision to go fully plant-based and to find the options and i think the things that you hit on about convenience and the social aspects and removing the friction um it really all comes into that right and i so I've, i found it really interesting listening to you speak because you were speaking you're basically enunciating the things that people think when they're kind of interested in going plant-based, but they're like, oh, but it's not convenient. Oh, but I don't know about it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but, but my friends will, will, will think I'm, you know, an idiot or whatever it is. <laughs> um, and so I found that really fascinating yeah. when you were saying that. Um, you mentioned consumer data and I'd love yeah. to expand a bit more on that. You, what, what role does consumer data play and how can, how can businesses nowadays use consumer data for good well we use it so uh, i'll give you you know a, a real life example right um and and kind of i uh, more of the sort of the genesis of all of this um uh, what we kind of do with with consumer data so like i i grew up in i grew up in new york city and 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 in my in my former career i used to have to spend a lot of time taking clients to places like steakhouses uh, you know i have somebody come in from minneapolis or from dallas or from london and they want to go to one of new york city's you know whatever's top steakhouses renowned steakhouses right and and so then i'm like the goofy vegetarian or the vegan um who's like you know goes and rolls up to the steakhouse and i get like a salad and i get spinach and I get like tomatoes and I, you know, you know, I get broccoli or whatever, baked potato. And, you know, everybody's asking five questions like, oh, you don't eat steak or this and that. And I just, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to show people, I always wanted to show people that like, wow, actually look at like how awesome my food can be. So I would always be the, the guy that like would call the restaurant in advance or try to talk to the manager and try to show them, hey, like, look, you know, uh, I might be vegetarian or vegan. And I'm not going to eat your steak, but like, if you could make me something really delicious where actually the folks around the table who are so used to eating steak, look at what I'm eating. And they're like, Ooh, that looks good. Right. That would help me out. Right. And, 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 and so, you know, I, I always wanted to really be as welcoming to pop people as possible. And you know, I always felt like, Hey, here, I'm the kind of the strange guy. I'm like the odd man out. You know, I want to make sure everybody feels really happy and comfortable as my guest. So I want to go where they want to go. Um, and so I was always having these conversations. And what I found was that if I, you know, if I showed up to these businesses and they saw that, hey, I'm the guy that's like paying the bill and that I'm willing to come back to these businesses if they take care of me, right? I often start to see a shift in their perception of and their interest level around catering to people like me. And I'd bring my friends back who'd order vegetarian food or vegan food. And I just felt like, wow, like 
that's very good consumer advocacy right there. If I can show these businesses that there's money in, you know, in catering to people like me that we're not like so put off by it, you know, obviously it's, it's like, I'm not like my, my preference is not to go to steakhouses. Right. But, you know, I, I just felt like there was an opportunity there. And, you know, so I, I do, I've done door-to-door activism. I've done a lot of consumer advocacy. I've gone door-to-door to restaurants in Los Angeles, New York, you know, when I was younger and often it's just so hard, right. Kind of having a conversation, et cetera, doing that at any scale. So we said, Hey, like what we can do. And when we started off, we said, okay, let's not build just a general social media app, because what we're going to do is we're going to get a lot of people attacking each other. Nobody's perfect. You're going to get a lot of attacks on, uh, you know, and, and instead let's create a social experience about something we can all agree on or agree to disagree on, which is, you know, food products, things like that. So let's kind of create a social experience around the consumer side of things, the consumer review side. And that's really interesting because it creates a lot of interesting data points. You know, you've got people taking photos of food from restaurants. You've got people taking photos of products that they're buying at the grocery store. You've got people taking photos of things that they're wearing, clothing, um, cosmetics, et cetera. And they're talking about it, what they like, what they don't like about it. The community is engaging with that. And each one of those then, each one of those posts in a way can then be used or sent back out there into the world. So going back to the steakhouse, what we'll do is we'll send, you know, we'll send steakhouses, the best reviewed vegan options from steakhouses around the world. They're like, hey, look, this is what businesses just like yours are doing and consumers are loving it. So we've got photos, we've got all this content. Let us help you with consumer insights or with a big consumer products company like a Unilever or a Procter & Gamble. How do you share information with these companies in the form of consumer advocacy campaigns so they can see and spot like, wow, look at these trends happening. We want to create more products because this is really happening. So, you know, we've, we've kind of packaged data and behind the scenes, anytime a review is created on our platform, our team is trying to figure out any country in the world we have, you know, we have consumers and we have, and we have contents content in 135 countries now, but our team is behind the scenes figuring out, Hey, who's the owner of that business? Who's the manager of that business? They get their email addresses. They put that into our system. And then we kind of automate that whole process of sending businesses, consumer advocacy campaigns. Last year, we sent out more than 5 million emails. Right. Um, and, and it's like we don't have some anybody sitting there writing out the emails. We, we you know, we, we template them and we but we've, we find that that creates really great feedback and the restaurants actually really appreciate it. The brands really appreciate it. Right. So that's one. Two, it allows us to recognize those brands that are doing the right thing. So in our space, in the sustainability space, right, we're creating first ever, first of its kind awards, industry recognition. We're recognizing, you know, in Singapore, this is our second year we just did because our, our home base is Singapore and our second year here, uh, we just did our second annual uh, Singapore Top 50 Vegan Dish Awards. And so that's, we have 16,000 vegan dishes reviewed in Singapore on the app. When we first started in that first year, there were less than a thousand options. And thanks to a lot of the work that we've done, We've seen the number of vegan options go from a thousand vegan options and then to sixteen thousand vegan options in the last three and a half, four years, right across the island, across the city, and that's pretty awesome, right? So now that's one side of it. 
but we'll package this up and we'll do the top 50 Singapore vegan dishes. And that's all based on user-generated feedback. So that provides, again, like I'd say for 45 of the 50 restaurants that ranked in the top 50 dishes, they serve meat. They're, they're not vegan or vegetarian restaurants. And some of them were shocked, are always shocked. Last year, they were shocked. This year, they're shocked. They're always shocked that they receive these awards because they never thought like, oh, wow, like people would be interested in this. Uh, what they also don't realize is that 70% of our users are not vegan or vegetarian, but they're meat eaters. 35, 30, 35% of our users are vegans and vegetarians. And of course, they're extraordinarily influential and opinionated, which is fantastic. But it's that data that then allows us to say, hey, look, this, these are businesses that are taking valuable steps. Let's support them. Let's, let's recognize them. Um, let's put them up on a pedestal so they do more. Right. So they're proud of it. And, you know, what we find is when we give these businesses, these frame certificates they are so proud, like they're proudly displaying them right when you walk in the door. Right. And, you know, it's kind of cool to see like a steakhouse or a seafood restaurant and you walk in and it's like, wow, we wanted one of, you know, the top 50 vegan dishes or consumer products brands who, you know, have started to create a plant based burger or, you know, vegan cheese and they get recognized for it. The other thing that we're doing is research. So today, um, so obviously vegan food from restaurants is a big part of our platform, but the other part of our platform is consumer products. And we have 165,000 consumer products that have been reviewed on our platform across about 38,000 brands. And most of those companies uh, of the 38,000 brands on our platform, I would say 37,000 950 are private companies, right? Mm -hmm. So there's no research about them. There's no industry research. Nielsen is not putting together market research. You, you guys at Imperial, your data science team, your research people, they're not getting any research or under, real understanding of what those companies are all about. We now have the consumer data. I can tell you what consumers are saying about Sustain, uh, sustainable products in places like Argentina and Mexico and Chile and, and Spain and South Africa and many other parts of the world, all of Southeast Asia, of course, the US, the UK, Canada, all those obvious places, Australia. Um, and But we've got that insight into the consumer and into these brands and into these products. And because then we can run our data science models and we can run natural language processing, we can pick up keywords right, we put everything through our system, we then can, again, come up with a lot of data that creates research reports. So we have a big research initiative and a lot of governments, a lot of institutional investors are subscribed to our research, um, a lot of investment banks. And it's really a look into a very rapidly evolving, fast growing uh, community of businesses and, uh, and, and industry where historically there isn't anything. And so again, if you're trying to spur on the growth of the industry, this is a great way to do it because you, you know, what the industry needs is investment capital. The industry needs recognition. The industry needs like people, businesses, consumer businesses, governments, policy officials, they all need this kind of data in order to make decisions, make better policy decisions, make better investment decisions. Um, make better decisions about where they want to dedicate workforces and policy towards, you know, government incentives and the grants and things like that. So we're doing a lot of that. We publish research reports. We publish one to two research reports every month. 
And what's really cool is in Singapore, we just entered into a partnership with Enterprise Singapore, which is like Singapore's like businesses, big business, governmental business association to, you know, co-publish, co-author research, um, because Singapore is really trying to become a hub for, for this industry globally. So yeah, we're just really, I mean, a lot of the, the data allows us to do a lot of different things that are ultimately effectively like ecosystem building, right? And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to build this hub in this ecosystem that brings people together, that brings people and companies together, that helps companies, even companies form relationships with each other. I talked about the consumer advocacy part of it, and I'll just, I'll stop. I know I've been talking for a while, but the, the consumer advocacy side of it allows us to then have all this connectivity into restaurants. And then you've got companies like, you know, the, the Beyond Meats and the Impossibles and, and, and all those companies, the, the pro food products companies who want to get their products sold at restaurants. And we actually, because we've got the connectivity to the businesses, 50,000 of them around the world now on the restaurant side, we're able to then help these companies or help startups that are much smaller than them get a foothold into a market. How do we get them into their first hundred restaurants? How do we get them into their next thousand restaurants? So we're able to you know, build these connections. And even from a B2B perspective, the data can be very, very helpful. Wow. That's incredible the way you break that down. And I think it's really interesting because, I mean, fundamentally, you're, you're taking an underserved niche, right? And you're trying to make it go mainstream. And in doing so, you're helping so many different parties win. You're helping the restaurants win. You're helping businesses win. You're helping governments win with your data. You're helping vegans win. You're helping non-vegans win. You're helping vegan food companies win and other kind of sustainable companies and non-sustainable companies and provide by positively incentivizing them to provide sustainable or plant-based options in whatever industry. And so I find it really interesting the way that you break that all down. Um, one thing I'm really curious about is I saw that a billion gives animal and planet charities $1 per consumer review. And so I'd love to know how is your financial model sustainable and how can businesses balance that line of profit versus impact? Yeah. So, you know, we, we, I, we're taking a lot of, it's funny. Like I was just, I was just chatting with one of my team members about, I mean, we're, we're taking a lot of big, bold bets. Um, and sometimes it's like, you've got to marry the new with the old a little bit. So like not everything should be a big, bold bet. Um, but one of the big sort of bets that we're making and, uh, and we it's something that I'm very, very passionate about is how we grow. Um, and to, to, to do it in a way that instead of doing what every other startup, every other technology company does, um, besides creating product that people want to use, right? You need to create product that people want to use. But besides doing that, right? Um, how do you grow responsibly? And I just felt, you know, there's so many hacks out there and so many people spend so much money on advertising and all of that stuff. And I just felt like, you know what? I don't want to do that. I, I'd rather take that money and I'd rather spend it on creating like real life-saving impact real meaningful impact. So we do a lot of cool things. Uh, we, we've committed to donating, you know, and we're, 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 we're not, we're, we're a startup and we're venture funded and we're still very early days. But what we've done is we've decided, we've committed to donate 
uh, for now and a little bit increase in the future, but we've committed to donate a million dollars every year. Um, and what we've done is we've gamified the whole process that, hey, we want you to go out there and eat something vegan tonight. We want you to go next time you go and you buy a product at Sephora or wherever you buy your cosmetics or you're going to go and buy a pair of shoes, right? You make that choice sustainable and we'll back it up. You just take a photo of it, right? You do something fun. It's just like posting on Instagram, but we're going to put a little dollar in your pocket, a US dollar, right? And every time you do that and every single time with that dollar, you can actually create life-saving or life-changing impact. You can help save the life of an animal. You can help leading marine life causes like Sea Shepherd. Um, you know, for those of you that have seen Sea Sparacy, they're, 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 uh, which was just released on Netflix, a big part of that. You can, um, you can put a girl in school for a day. You can plant a tree somewhere in Africa as part of a reforestation project. You can plant 10 trees. You can feed a hungry child. We, we, we have a partnership with the United Nations World Food Program. They have something called Share the Meal. And it's actually not even a dollar, it's 80 cents will feed a malnourished, hungry child in the developing world for a day. So it's like, we could spend that money on advertising, but we just felt like we could do all of these other things. We could save animals, right? And, you know, we can drive advocacy and we can, you know, we can create frontline change. And last year, as part of Black Lives Matter, we supported the ACLU and the Southern uh, uh, Poverty Law Center in the U.S. So, you know, we can also be timely about things. We did stuff around the Aussie bushfires at the beginning of last year. So, you know, look, uh, we're, we're, we're trying something very different there, which is let's create impact. Let's embed impact into the user experience and let's use it to remind people that that little choice that they're making in their day can create a ripple effect through society. Especially, you know, if they, if they take a photo and they post about it, they're making it easier for someone else to experience that thing. But not only that, but they can then take a dollar and use it to create impact anywhere in the world. We have 65 organizations that we support on every continent. So, uh, so that was kind of the, that was, that's, that's, well, that's what we do. Now, in terms of financial sustainability, it's very simple. Like, you know, if, if I just put my, my business hat on, I say, okay, no, fine. It's coming out of my marketing expense. I don't think of it that way personally, but, you know, as a businessman, that's how I think about it. And I think of it as a great investment because it, and it really is, it's an investment in our sustainability. It's an investment in our future. And I'm grateful. I'm so grateful for the investors that we have because the, the investors that we have, I think, view this, view what we do here as one of the unique selling points and one of the things, one of the reasons that many of them have gotten involved with the company and, and backed us. Um, so, uh, you know, we hope that that's something that we can continue doing. Um, when I started the company, I had a really crazy idea. We, uh, we had this idea literally right after we started this company and we started doing it almost immediately once we kind of started a structure and we got our first partner there's a farm animal sanctuary in, in Hawaii um, called Lilani. Uh, uh, um, hello, Loralee. If, if Loralee ever hears, uh, listens to this podcast, thank you for you know being our first partner. Um, but you know, it's it's 
uh, I said something back then three and a half years ago, which was one day, imagine if we can donate a billion dollars. And it's kind of like, why not, right? Like, if we can build this, and we will, but if we can get this to the point where we're creating the kind of profits that some of these larger organizations are creating, or even in the case of like a Facebook, 180th or 100th of the kind of revenue that those kinds of organizations are, are creating, maybe we'll have created a new kind of blueprint for how to do business, for how, to, how technology companies can do business and how you can profit, but also create meaningful impact. You know, I mean, I just really don't think that Facebook and its shareholders would miss the one or if, they, if Facebook did something like this and donated one or $2 billion to create a lot of impact in the world. I mean, I think that the world would be much better for it. And I think it'd be, you know, an amazing thing that would make their users love them even more. And, and, you know, maybe to some extent, they're probably doing something like that. I don't know enough about the company and what they do on a day-to-day basis. So I'm not saying that they don't, but, uh, but that's at least that that's sort of part of our values and what we stand for, what we want to do and what we want to achieve kind of longer term. We think we can build an immensely profitable business, but we think that we can do it as, as part of a mandate to take so much of that and also create very, very meaningful impact in the world. I think that's, that's really, really powerful. And that's why it's so important as a company to know your values, right? Because then you know your values, then you live your values every day and you show them. And I think it's really interesting how you as a company are leading by example. You're leading by example by saying, hey, here's a little choice that's going to create the ripple effect of impact. And you're basically telling the consumers and the users, hey, you can also make a little choice today and that's going to have a ripple effect and that's going to make an impact. So you're basically leading by the example and you're, you're, basic, you're showing, you're embodying what that, that good outcome is, right? What, that, what it means to have that impact. And um, yeah. Anyway, I find it really interesting. I had another interesting trail of thought on that, but it's lost my mind. It'll come back to me in a sec. Um, but I think it's really, actually, yeah, I, it's come back to me now. I think it's really interesting what you said, um, but you're taking it out of your ad spend, right? And you're putting it towards impact. It's almost like a different kind of marketing though, right? It's like CSR, it's positive brand. It's, uh, it's showing up for what you believe in, which I think is a really powerful <clears> thing. <throat> Uh, you also mentioned your investors, right? And I think it's really cool because if I remember correctly, you raised uh, a billion, raised two, $2 million in seed funding in 2019, which broke records as the largest seed round for a plant-based startup that year in Singapore. And I've also raised a pre-series A $3 million round in 2020. Um, so my question to you is, what makes a compelling pitch to investors? Sure. And, and, you know, Yasmin, I mean, like, it's, it's like, I think that's just a little bit of PR spin, right? And, and meaning it's, it's true. It's factual that we were the, I think though we were the largest seed round for a plant-based startup in Singapore in 2019. So that's like, how many filters are that? There's, there's a year filter, a location filter, an industry type, a, <laughs> a seed, a, a round stage. So, you know, I mean, there, there's, it's a little bit of PR spin, but yes, it's, it's true. Um, um, 
uh, I just think it's funny. It's like how these articles kind of come out sometimes and you're like, okay, cool, interesting, this interesting take that the reporter had for creating a story. Um, <laughs> I love your transparency um, as well. Well, I mean, it's just, you know, you just, uh, it's, it, you know, look, it's, it's, um, it, it's, uh, I'm, I'm obviously, I'm very, very passionate about it. And, and I think that, I think I'm really grateful. Like, you know, I think just, it's, I, you look back at it like three, four years ago and you put financial models together in my former career, I spent my entire career building financial models. And the only thing that I, the only, I mean, a financial model is like, it's good for, it's good for you it's good at, at its best it's good for understanding what the levers are and scenarios and kind of where you might want to dedicate your time and where you might want to check yourself a little bit in terms of your assumptions and things like that um but nobody ever like i don't think in my 20 years i don't think i ever went back three years later and looked at a deal that we built a model for and was like did we get it right because it's just you know in a way it was it was always in a way to kind of around a pitch or something like that um so yeah we've raised we've raised six and a half million dollars six and a half million us dollars uh since we started um we raised a bunch of, we raised an angel i started the company uh you know and kept it going for the first year um it was with my own capital because i just felt like that was the right thing to do and in a way i wanted to be really sure that i could do something because it obviously it seemed like a real crackpot idea um, I wanted to get, at least get it to the stage where I felt comfortable asking people for money, like where I felt like, okay, you know, if I lose their money now, I, I, you know, I'll feel bad, but like, at least like, I, I kind of feel like I now know what I need to do the next year to kind of take it to the next stage. And that's what I'm raising capital for, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah. So we raised an angel round in 18. We raised our seed round in 19. Last year, we, we raised a bunch of capital in spite of COVID. We actually raised more capital last year than we did in the past sort of two years before that. And that was great, you know, and um, Singapore has been extremely, um, uh, uh, Singapore has, been a, has played a big role in that as far as just the, the amount of support um, from other entrepreneurs here, from, from the community here. We have some great investors. Um, I think, what was your question about specific investors or? The question was, what makes a compelling pitch? Right. Uh, what makes a compelling pitch? Yeah. Uh, sorry, was there a second part to that? That was the question. Yeah. That was the question. Okay, I just <laughs> want to make sure. So, you know, look, I think uh, honestly, uh, as an investor myself, right? Like, you get pitch books all the time, and I got to tell you, it's uh, you get more pitch books about great business ideas with from really great credible people and you have conversations with them and you feel bad really bad sometimes actually saying no often for me i these days i just have to say no because I, of bandwidth like i just don't have the time to kind of invest in thinking about a lot of other businesses and so something the bar for something has to be really really high for me to kind of invest invest time into really looking at it um but uh but you know, so I, if when you put yourself, when you put that, when you put when you put yourself in, when you put what you're doing, in, you put yourself in somebody else's shoes, and you kind of like see it from the investor's perspective, they're constantly kind of getting bombarded by good pitches. 
Um, there's ideas are a mile a minute. Everybody's lots of people got ideas. And then, you know, is like better business ideas are, you know, also, you know, they're not necessarily scarce. Um, so what makes a good pitch? I think ultimately a lot of it comes down to, it's like, comes down to at this stage, right? Even the stage where we're at right now is a lot of the, the decision comes down around the founder. Maybe at the stage that we're at today, a lot of the decision for investors comes back down to, comes down to the founder plus kind of a couple of core people around the founder who are really sort of the, the senior team in a way, if you've got that. And not every startup has that, or, you know, a lot of startups have co-founders. And so it really, I didn't have a co-founder, which by the way, is its own sort of bag of, bag of worms, um, better or worse. I mean, there's good things about it. There's bad things about it. It means I have more sort of discretion and autonomy, but that also doesn't work in my favor all the time. It means that I also end up having to carry the load on, on a lot of things. Um, and, uh, yeah. So, you know, what makes a really compelling pitch ultimately is that person who's getting in front of the investor, are they really able to convey passion? Do they really feel like they're solving a problem? Have they really fleshed out that this is a problem that other people face? Have they really fleshed out that there's a market opportunity that's big enough that if they build a solution in this, that if they can capture some market share in this, if they can they build a better solution than the incumbent solutions, if there are incumbent solutions? Do they have the passion for it? Do they have the wherewithal for it? Do they have the emotional capacity for it? Do they have the do they have some of the physical capacity for it? So I mean I think that like I think that often for investors like you want to you want to see that passion, that tenacity. And that's not always there. Sometimes, you know, you, you, you've got to be able to sell it. You've got to be able to communicate it. You've got to be able to convey it with a lot of passion. Uh, and then you've got to bring it back down to, hey, do you have a good head on your shoulders where you've thought, really thought through what this business could look like, right? If you are 10%, 20% successful, if, you know, of the 10 things that you're thinking, you get two or three of them, right? Because which is probably what's going to happen, right? Um, especially in the first four or five years. So, um. I think that's just that is like, can you convey all of that with a sense of understanding and, and then can you inspire people to, you know, I think a lot of investors simply look at people, look at founders and they say, Hey, like, is this person going to be able to, can this, has this person inspired me to give them money? Because if, and, and will they be able to inspire other people? Because it's a long road. So you've got to be able to inspire people, um, and you've got to also inspire people to want to come and work with you. And then you've got to not be a total dick, right? Where you've got to like also, you know, you've got to be able to, 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 to respect people. Not always. I mean, sometimes, you know, you have difficult conversations and arguments and fights. And then this comes with the territory. Um, but, you know, you got you to gotta be able to do all those things. And I think so. And then... You got to be able to convince investors in maybe 15 minutes or 30 minutes or 60 minutes that they want to do enough of that probing to kind of arrive at a conclusion around all of those things. So in the beginning, I think that in the beginning when you're raising, the best thing to do is really focus on people in your network who know you. 
and understand if I can give anybody on the phone advice, the best thing I'd say is build your relationships and always be building your relationships and don't ask people for money, build your relationships, be honest, really care about people. You know, if you're going to ask somebody for money um, or, you know, you're going to ask them to invest or take a look, like, you know, please like be respectful and really be genuine in your presentations be honest be genuine and be genuine in your building of relationships and and i'd say that like my one biggest piece of advice is like ideas come and go businesses come and go capital comes and goes money comes and go wealth comes and goes um but like friendships and relationships can last a lifetime right and so that's some just something that i've learned in the last 20 years that um that always invest in your invest in your relationships and that'll take you very far it's a, that's a that's a big part of my philosophy for fundraising as well and now it has just tended to become a lot more philosophical about it that the product now at my stage the product has to start speaking for itself a little bit and you know the capital will get you know we will get the capital that we deserve mm. i still need to do all of the work i need to put invest all the time but we will get the capital that we deserve yeah, you said a lot of really, you dropped a lot of the gold nuggets in there. It's a lot to unpack. I think what you said about building that human and that emotional connection with investors is really important because so many people focus on here are the facts and here are the figures and they kind of lose mm-hmm. themselves in it. But people are just people, right? And so I think what you're saying about nurturing relationships, building relationships, it's something that I live by as well. You know, leading with authenticity, leading with value, leading with your passion and your vision and your mission are, are really, really important takeaways from what you just said. So Thank you. before I ask you my final question, I'd love to ask you about you a bit. And I'd, okay, love, to, sure, shoot. I'd, love, to, I'd love to know is do you have any mindsets or habits or <clears throat> rules i guess uh that you have in your life that you live by that set you up for success um well definitely i mean look definitely one of them is that i'm vegan and i think of it as a lighthouse i think of it as beacon um i think of it as something that makes me feel really connected um to everything like to everything to people to animals to life to insects um, I think it makes me much more compassionate. Um, makes me a lot much more compassionate person. It also makes me a lot more driven about my business because we're very connected to it. So that that's obviously one um, one thing I'm very very passionate about. Um, two, um, that maybe something that's a little less serious. Uh, so a, a habit that I uh that I, that I, I like to practice and when I say I practice it and I'm not like perfect at it it's not like I'm doing it all the time I, you know I, I I try to always have it on the back of my head and kind of conscious about it and mindful about it and do it as often as I can and it always makes me feel really really good I think it just it brings my blood pressure down it opens up my breathing it makes me smile which opens up my breathing and um again makes me feel really connected I read a book uh, like seven years ago. Um, it's called uh, Awakening the Buddha Within 
and it's um it's by this american guy who went to tibet and he became a lama his name is surya das really really nice uh really great book very easy read um I actually ended up taking a really long time to read it <laughs> just because it like every page it felt like I, I needed time to really let it sink um but just overall just like really really great book and i recommend it it's called uh, awakening the buddha within and in, in, there's a passage in there where he talks about um a practice that the dalai lama has which is really interesting that whenever the dalai lama like is just going around going for a walk um anyone he encounters any sort of life that he encounters it could be a it could be a, a dog it could be a person it could be a, an ant uh he he takes a, a moment to inside just kind of say god bless you right or just bless you he offer he, he offers blessings and he doesn't like he doesn't verbalize it per se he's not like you know, some freak going around saying bless you bless you bless you bless you but you know he 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 just kind of internally kind of verbalizes it and it puts a smile on his face and makes him feel connected to that 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 other life that individual and it creates a stream of consciousness and connectivity with other people and uh so you know i i thought like i thought it was really silly when i read it but then i was like well i kind of really like everything else i've read so far in the book let me try this and so i was living in california at the time and i started doing this like on my morning runs and i just like run past somebody and inside my head i'd be like bless you god bless you right and i don't think it's so much about whether you believe in god or not um i do but uh that that i don't think that matters so much um but i uh i just started doing that and i found that if i can do that if i can remember to do that if i can remember when i enter a room just for a second kind of take a quick pause and i'm really bad at this actually i'm not i'm not so good at this like when i enter a room kind of taking stock and just taking a pause and looking around and kind of welcoming myself into a room by doing this but but when i do i find that it changes so much like inside of me and the dynamic and stuff so that's like definitely kind of a daily habit that i try as often as i can i'm not perfect at it sometimes it's like my days suck so i have like completely forgotten to do it but when i do remember i find that it really helps me i love that i'm going to start doing that i think i think it's you should try it you should try it i highly I recommend it i will try it right after this <laughs> i'm serious i think it's really awesome because um as you say it's not about religion or anything it's about projecting that positive energy into the world it's about you show up differently right when you're saying when you're saying god bless you you're basically wishing someone well you're basically saying i hope this person or this creature has an awesome day and in projecting that energy out into the world you start to feel that shift within yourself as you said you start to feel that that gratitude and that positivity then you move through the world in a different way then then other people feed off that positive energy so that's improved their day and as again it's it's always like <clears throat> a, in a very micro level you're creating that small ripple effect of impact yeah. energy which i think is really really awesome so thank you for sharing you're welcome my final question for you because thank you. is my final question is what are three key truths <clears throat> about the entrepreneurial journey that you would share with the young entrepreneur today 
three key truths? Yes. Oh, man. Um, okay. Uh, one, definitely, uh, investor who I really admire, one of our first investors in the company, who had a really nice lunch in New York in 2018, in like May of 2018. And I always remember something that he said to me, because, you know, I went through the model, I went through the model, I went through the business plan, did all of that fancy stuff. And, uh, and he, you know, he wrote me a check at that lunch. He said, uh, okay, I'm, I'm in. And we got up, um, and we got up from the, uh, from the lunch. And, um, and he said, just because, just remember one thing, it, it's going to take a lot longer than you think. And I was like, I just looked at it. yeah, I was like, yeah, whatever. Okay, cool. Give me the money. Thanks. <laughs> you know, I, and it, you know, it, it just started off. It was like, I was less than a year in. And of course, you know, I had all these grand plans and everything. Right. Um, and, and so I, I mean, I just, I just got, I had a call with him like a month ago, four weeks ago, three, four weeks ago, just a call like this, right. My nighttime, his morning, and uh, and I just I was I was just telling him you know hey thank you thank you for you know thank you for telling me that like I just I just wanted to tell you that I just I, that that memory I still have that memory in my head um, from when you said that because it's like it is one of the truest truest and most sort of it was it was this wisdom you know he's an older guy and he's not that old but like he's one of these older guys it was just has a lifetime of wisdom so experienced so successful. And he's seen that he's invested in probably a hundred companies, you know, I'm probably just one of 100 companies he's invested in. And, uh, and so that was, that's, I'd say that that's really like, I think that's a truth. It, it's going to take a lot longer than you think. Um, and so if you're going to try something, just, you know, just be sure that's something that you really, you think that you really want to do that you like, it really, really, you really want to have a go at it. Um, because it, it will take longer than you think. And that's not a bad thing. It's, it's a good thing. Um, you know, I, I'd say, again, you know, the same thing. It's, it's, it's going to be a lot harder than you think, of course. Um, and again, not, not to be discouraged. It's not, it's not about being discouraging in the way. It, it's, I'd say that it's just, you know, it, you're, it's 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 a hard journey. It's a lonely journey. Um, my brother, who runs a very successful company in New York, um, a very very you know he, my 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 brother's probably one of the biggest entrepreneurs in New York City, and and my brother my brother when you know a couple of years back said something to me and I kind of reacted kind of in a nasty way. He was like, you know. Don't I know how you're feeling? Being a CEO, being the CEO is like a very, very lonely thing. And I was like, I'm not lonely. What are you talking about? I'm not lonely, right? Like, and you know, I didn't really understand what he meant by that. And of course, now I do, um, because it is, you know, I mean, you want to hire people, you then people want to, people want, people want uh, um, autonomy. There's this word autonomy. You know, your team. You, you hire people, you build, you scale, and, and all of a sudden, it's just kind of like, you're kind of like things are just moving and happening around you, and you want to kind of, of course, you're trying, you're trying to manage things and insert yourself and all of this stuff, but sometimes you really do feel like you're, you're, you're like, you're almost like, 
fighting with people sometimes you don't even want to fight with people but you're like you're you're kind of that it, it does sometimes can feel like very lonely uh a lonely thing and i think that that's very much a truth and something that a lot of founders have said to me and go through um and that we talk about um mm. and uh yeah so i don't know if that's that, that those are three things you know it, it's 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 hard and you've got to be prepared for that it's going to take a longer time than you think and it could be an extremely lonely journey but those are three different truths and uh, the, the fourth thing that's really interesting is if you find if you find something that you're really passionate about and you overcome all of that or at least you 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 get there you start getting there you never want to do anything else in your life again it and that's just the best thing you just you just you 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 feel it's not a job you just feel great about it you feel excited about it and it's your baby and it's your life's work and you know it's 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 on you right so you finally get to see and you get to be responsible for your success which is extraordinary right because we all like we've all been there we've all been in jobs we've all been like oh you know i just have which we had more control and autonomy and if you find you get you you go for it you have it it's it is extremely intoxicating and it's wonderful and it's fun um and and it's a journey and um and you know i couldn't imagine i couldn't imagine really doing anything else so there's so there's also that side of it is extremely award of rewarding um entrepreneurship can be can be really really liberating and and and, and rewarding um and you know and 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 uh and and really open up uh open up a world of possibilities for you um and what you'll find i think also is entrepreneurship is um filled with serendipity so like a serendipity or serendipitous events and all this like that, that never happened to me when i worked on wall street it's like no but like these days like i'm having a bad day and then like one of our users sends me a message like this beautiful thank you message and i, I was like i i never received anything like that from clients when we were doing m&a deals right or <laughs> like didn't yeah you, it didn't happen but like you know every single day like we receive thank you emails or something just when you think like you know oh my god how am i going to do this or how am i going to raise this or how am i going to like you know create this partnership it's just like something happens it falls either falls in your lap or you meet somebody or and you know it's just just like so i think that that's also it like when you do something you're really passionate about and believe in um you 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 the luck if you really invest in it the luck will start to find you and that's also just um that's a truth i think that's that's i think that's um mm. that's a given and and um these days you know i mean i i think because we're doing something that is so because we're trying to do something that that is so good um i you know i i feel, I feel like uh i feel you know i feel i feel that i feel that a lot these days um so i think that like those are yeah sorry i don't know if that's like five truths or six or seven or two but um hey. those are sort of my conclusions instead of truths it was kind of my conclusions on on yeah. this, this this life that i'm yeah. in right now i think what you said is is really deep and really true. It's you know, it's long, it's difficult, it's lonely, it's all those things, but it's also beautiful and it's also rewarding and it's also invigorating.
right? Um, and so it has the dark and the light, you know, the yin and the yang, they exist together. And I think um, it's, it's a pretty incredible journey. So thank you so much for sharing all of your wisdom with us today, Vikas. Thanks, Do you have Sajan, anything yeah, really that you'd nice. like? <laughs> sure. Do you have anything that you'd like to plug? And where can people find you? Uh, sure. Yeah. Um, so we are a billion. It's just a b i l l i o n dot com, um, and it's as easy. Enough. Of course, you can visit our website, but it's as the, the 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 best possible experience is to download our app. Where we're available, of course, for iOS and Android, and it's really fun to use. And you know, look, I think the best part is um, if you're already on Instagram or if you're already on Facebook and you like taking photos of things, um, do that. Do that. You know, create a diary of the vegan food that you eat, or try to push yourself further. And you know, we'll back you up. We'll help. You know, help you out with an amazing community of people around the world. We'll help you find options around you. And better yet, you know, we're going to help you create impact. So you create impact for your life. We help you create impact for somebody else's life. Um, and you know, we think that that that's something that's worth being part of. So you know, if I, if, if if anything that I've said today makes any sense, I hope you'll check us out. I hope you'll help us out. I hope you'll help help us build this community. Um, it's really, really. Um, uh, really mean a lot to all of us at, at, at the company. We have 32 people sitting here in Singapore trying to build this. And it's great being able to talk to folks in, sitting in London and the UK. Uh, thank you for having us on the show. Um, and, uh, you know, excited to hopefully meet you someday in the flesh. <laughs> that would be fun. Yeah, yeah, I can't wait when we can travel again. Um, yeah, it's been an absolute blast because thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Thank you, Yasmina, for having me on the show. Do you ever feel like you put on a front to the world? I did an episode for this podcast with my friend Will Nedder a while back called How to Hack Yourself and Live Life to the Fullest. And we were talking all about how many, many people bottle up their emotions. They mask their true feelings and their true selves with a fake smile. Firstly, because going through hard times is not something that people typically want to hear about. And secondly, because they're afraid to show the world their true colors. One thing that I really love is that Will likes to ask people, how are you really doing? Not how are you doing, but how are you really doing? Because that then gives them permission to open up, unburden, and be unashamedly themselves and feel lighter and more liberated in the aftermath. And one day Will himself was actually going through a tough time and he confessed to the person he was speaking to in that moment, I'm just low-key emotional. I just put on a front all the time. To which the immediate reply was, you should totally put that on a t-shirt. And boom, the low-key emotional streetwear brand was born. Will's passion for his brand truly oozes through in everything he does, and he essentially created this as a call to authenticity. A lot of us put on a front for the world of how we want the world to think about us instead of who we really are. We hide these parts of ourselves from others out of a fear that we will be judged negatively by others or that we won't be accepted for the person that we really are. So I want to ask you, what's your front? At the end of the day, the low-key emotional brand is all about facing your truth. So if you want to wear clothes like a hoodie, a cap, a bikini that actually stand for something real and keep your hustle low-key, I have an exclusive offer just for you as my podcast listener. With me, you get a 10% discount using the discount code YAS10. That's Y-A-S-10 at the checkout at lowkeyemotional.com. 
All of the links and the details are in the show notes. I gotta say, I have the hoodie myself. It's extremely comfortable. It looks incredibly hip. I love wearing it. And so if you're one of the cool kids, this is most definitely for you. Again, you can get a 10% discount using the discount code YAS10. That's Y-A-S-10 at the checkout at lowkeyemotional.com. And you too will be rocking the street look in no time. Again, all of the details are in the show notes. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Young Entrepreneur's Journey. This episode is recorded in London by Yasmina Ellens. The music for the show as well as the editing is done by Jake Babineau. If you've gotten anything out of this podcast, please consider sharing it with a friend or liking it in the iTunes store. These things help more than anything else in reaching a broader audience and in turn will lead to better episodes for you to listen to. Thanks again and we'll see you in the next episode.